listening to Money Talks. I'm Troy Harmon here with Casey Smith and Jarrett McKenzie, J Money as he prefers to be called, um, J Penny as I prefer to call him. Now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, okay. Troy, before we go any further, I just got to commend you on your exit music from that last segment. Oh, was it that good? You like that? Was a nice choice. I mean, I, I didn't even know. Ain't Life Grand. Ain't Life Grand. No widespread doubt. panic. Yeah, sure. A local band out of Athens, Georgia. Maybe maybe you've heard of them. Yeah. It's good. Athens, Georgia. I've heard of Athens, Georgia. Do they yeah. still tour? They got a school over oh, there yeah, or they something, tour. right? There's a, yeah, there's a little little trade school over there. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. I thought there might be. Go dogs. Anyway, uh, Jarrett and Casey are both financial planners in our financial planning department, our planning and implementation department at Hensler Financial. Uh, if you would like to have your questions answered on the air, you can get in touch with us. Uh, you can call our question hotline at 1-855-429-9166. Uh, leave a message. We'll play it back on the air and uh, answer your questions on the air live. Uh, if uh, you have a question you'd like to pose to a human being, well, you can reach us at 770-429-9166. Call in, tell them you have a question for the radio, and uh, we will uh, definitely get to that as well. Uh, Or you can email us at drgene at hensler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. If you want to answer your own questions, we have plenty of those posted uh, resources that you can uh, tap into at hensler.com, spelled again the same way, H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R. So, guys, we uh, have a question from our good friend David who asks, uh, says, uh, that was a nice bit of info last week on the HSAs. One question I have and uh, is uh, which money to use when you have health care expenses? Uh, let's assume you have enough current income to pay for your family health care expenses without tapping into your HSA money. Is it better to use the money you have put tax-free into the H- HSA or is it to be, uh, better to pay cash and let the HSA money grow? Well, David, I'm really glad you asked that question, man, because that's something you're right. We didn't get to touch on last week, but it's a really uh, important consideration when when considering these HSAs because, you know, you, you do have that dilemma, I guess you could call it, in, in trying mm-hmm. to figure out, you know, where where are these dollars best used? And quite frankly, uh, you make a, a good point in that those dollars, I think, if they're invested pro- appropriately and you can continue leveraging them throughout your lifetime so that maybe then uh, when you're in retirement and, and are more likely to have health issues, uh, then maybe you've got more dollars there to address those issues because you've let them continue to grow uh, tax-free, essentially, assuming that you're going to use them for qualified health care expenses uh, and, and have that income to cover uh, your expenses early on. It's kind of like retirement dollars, right? I mean, the longer you can keep them in those accounts, the better. Exactly. And while that may not be the primary objective, if you do have a high enough income or sufficient enough income uh, to cover healthcare costs early on and let these grow, then I certainly think there's a case to be made for uh, using these, you know, in retirement instead of now. Yeah, and the, the nice thing about an HSA is that... But let's th- let's flesh out what is exactly an HSA. It's health savings Health account, savings right? account, yeah. So, and Jarrett talked about it a little bit last Last week, and uh, there's a video on our website. If you go to www.hensler.com, Jarrett's got a nice little video with his his melon on there talking about HSAs. And if you go and watch it, you just remember it. I've, the face is for radio, not the video. You got, <laughs> you got me on there. Our, our, our makeup girl was out of town that week, and yeah. you know I got the glare. But hey, 
Yeah. We got to we got to get this info out to the public, do. man, and we we'll make yeah. sure they got their their but education. It's essentially a vehicle that that you can use for medical expenses if you're in a high deductible health plan, and and there's a lot of details that go into and that. Is what, important to know. It yeah. has to be associated with a high deductible. Correct. Health Correct. Plan. Um, but assuming if you do have access to an HSA, it is a fantastic vehicle really because it is, uh, it's essentially, if you're going to use it for medical expenses, it's, it's like a Roth IRA, but you still get a tax deduction for it. So it's even better than a Roth IRA because yeah. you don't get a deduction for, for contributions. You essentially Roth. got tax free dollars if you're going to use them for qualified healthcare expenses. Now, not if you, if you do hold them to retirement and start to withdraw them after age 65, which you can then do without penalty. You know, there there would be then, uh, you know, there there's going to be some tax, I assume. Yeah, it would point. be just ordinary income, just like a regular IRA. So right. at that point, it's just a regular IRA, even if you use it for for non-medical expenses. It, it has to be after age 65 rather than 59 and a half to avoid penalty, and the penalty is 20% versus 10%, yeah. so there are some wow. differences there. Um, but that's a good point, though. I've never thought about it like that. It really is kind of a, a Roth IRA that's designated for health care because yeah. you do get the deferral, but then you, you've got these tax-free dollars to address health care issues that, you know, again, that's really why we, we started the topic in the first place, David. And, you know, I'm glad you, you've had us elaborate on this because there is a, this triple tax benefit there with these accounts where you, you get the tax deferral going in, you get the tax-deferred or tax-exempt growth, tax-free right, growth yeah, the, throughout the it. assets can continue to grow and you don't you yeah. don't have to deal with yeah and you leverage those right i mean they're, they're to his point there's more dollars there potentially down the road that you can then use towards uh these qualified health care expenses which they're pretty flexible with i was kind of surprised in looking at all the things that would they are qualify. flexible uh, but then you know at the end of the day too if you pull them out for those qualified health care expenses then that's a third tax benefit you're achieving in having these and so uh, look, regardless of how they're used, I think they're great vehicles, but I can understand why uh, there's been this dilemma, David, uh, with you and your father, because it's it's certainly, uh, you know, there's there's room for debate on both ends, but I tend to lean in your direction where I think holding them long term might just benefit you more potentially. Well, and here's one more one more benefit to an HSA that a lot of people don't realize is that there's no time limit to when you can incur those medical expenses and use your HSA funds to pay for it. Uh, this was spelled out in an IRS ruling, I think, I want to say 2004. Um, I might be wrong on that, but the the benefit is if, if you have incurred, let's say you in, incur a $10,000 medical expense this year, but you've got enough cash flow to cover it. So you just pay it out of pocket uh, and then sock away the money in your HSA, allow that to continue to grow tax deferred. And then 10 years from now, you need to, you know, you want to make a renovation to your house and you don't you don't really have the cash flow for it you can take the money out of your HSA and as long as you saved your receipt for that $10,000 expense that you incurred this year then you you can use the HSA money to pay for non-medical expenses in in a future year as long as you are backing that up and keeping good records um so that that is really a an often overlooked benefit but it's something that is important you can kind of control your cash flow better give you this, a little more flexibility and use tax-free dollars to pay for something in a year that you need the cash. Yeah, 
I think regardless of, of how you end up using it, be it early on or uh, waiting until retirement, if you have access to one of these vehicles, which you very well could, because after, as we discussed on last week's show, you don't necessarily have to access these plans through your employer. There are companies that offer them, banks that offer them, uh, and, and you could possibly have access to one that you're not aware of. So uh, if you do or if you can get access to one of these uh, it's it's certainly worthwhile if you're going to be able to fund them because it's just another way of getting a tax benefit and saving for expenses that you're certainly going to need, be it through uh, health care expenses or potentially in retirement down the road. So hopefully that uh, addresses it all, David. And if you got anything else, just give us a call. We'll be glad to uh, clarify or elaborate as we need to. And that number, again, is 770-429-9166. You can uh, call and ask for either Jarrett McKenzie or Casey Smith and uh, – Get your answers directly from those guys. All right, uh, so we've got another question, uh, and uh, this one comes from Spencer, who's in Atlanta. says, do you think GE should sell its stake in Baker Hughes? You know what? GE has been in the news way too much lately, uh, significant losses over the last year, and the stock price uh, just this week, GE was bounced out of the Dow Industrial Average. Uh, It's a price-weighted index of uh, 30 companies, uh, that are basically non-transportation related, although GE does have some transport uh, in its locomotive business. But um, all things considered, uh, should should the question is, should GE sell Baker Hughes? Now, they're trying to push off quite a few assets, and I'll be honest with you, uh, with everything that's going on with the price of oil and uh, oil-related businesses, uh, they seem to be undervalued right now, and it was part of the reason that uh, I'm sure that they decided that they would make the purchase. Uh, part of what you're seeing in GE, and uh, Jarrett, we talked about this off the air. How long again have they been on the Dow? 111 years. Yep. 111 years. It's a heck started of a streak as, to break. Yeah, I mean this was Thomas Edison's yeah. offshoot, right? The the industrial side of the business that uh, that he created. Well, and you yeah. made a good point. I mean that that's really where it all began, right? That's their core business, or at least it has been, yeah. sort of historically speaking. Granted, these days they're in a number of different businesses, but hey. I mean, that's the case for Baker Hughes, I think, which is, I assume, based on what you just said, an, an oil-related affiliate. Yeah, services company, oil services. Yeah. And and uh, to me, it just doesn't seem wise that you would follow up a bad decision with a second bad decision. They've got companies within the company, within GE, that they're actually trying to uh, spin off their transportation business, the locomotive business, uh, also appliances, which, uh, you know, aren't a, a very profitable, hugely profitable business. And then, believe it or not, I mean, back to its roots, lighting. Uh, so there there are uh, suitors who have talked about potentially buying off these uh, portions of the business. Uh, and I really believe that it would be wise for GE to pursue those more so than trying to get rid of some of the, uh, you know, the stock-related that's liquid. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, so, guys, we've got... Another question here from Jeff, who's in Sandy Springs, says, I've uh, been told I should look into mature tech stocks that pay dividends. I always thought tech stocks were growth engines. I'm a young investor. Do I even need these? Uh, Some of the names he throws out, Hewlett Packard, Texas Instruments, IBM, uh, all of which do pay a dividend. Uh, So I I guess it's probably going to be best here to stop and talk about what you're looking for uh, in in a uh, portfolio 
If you're a young investor, most, most young investors uh, have the ability because of their time horizon to take a little more risk. And, uh, you know, you would look into those tech stocks that are not paying a dividend, right? Some that, uh, that have growth that uh, growth in earnings or potential growth in earnings that, that actually are going to outstrip the overall market. Um, so uh, the theory is that management, as long as it can make you more money, by investing your equity internally with uh, the projects that the business has going on, they're actually better to keep the keep the money and not pay a dividend out, right? Yeah. Well, they so, have that responsibility as the fiduciary to return as much to the shareholders as possible, right? Now, whether you do that through right. a dividend or by, like you said, Troy, reinvesting it in the company, it's going to be whatever they think is, is going to accomplish that goal better. And... Uh, well, we've seen a trend recently of uh, rather than paying dividends, they've been a lot of stock buybacks, mm-hmm. um, which I guess is a little bit less committal <laughs> from the company. Well, rather yeah, than, than, it's, it's kind of cheating, if you will. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, we would prefer, I would think, to see the companies take that, take those profits and reinvest it back into projects that they feel like are going to be profitable yeah, because that doesn't necessarily create value, right? I mean, you're you're basically just taking some of those shares off the market, which then makes the shares that are still outstanding worth more because right. they're not as diluted. But yeah, I, th- I agree with you. I think not uh, not creating value with those same dollars you would think would create more value. But I mean, look, the stock buybacks tend to treat <laughs> the stocks very well, right? I mean, that's typically have, viewed yeah. as a good thing. They have. It's uh, yeah. it's uh, the biggest problem that I have with that is the fact that it's. Uh, it's hard to make the case that you're seeing true economic growth when you see that yep. as a widespread practice. Right. Uh, the thing that you can do if you just wanted to see kind of the sustainable growth in the companies that you invest in, you can take the inverse of the dividend payout ratio, which means one minus the dividend payout ratio, and multiply that by the return on equity uh, of the company, which is what? Net income divided by uh, the equity in the business, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you, what are you a financial analyst? Or I am a financial I don't analyst. A word and you, you just get, said. You get the sustainable Chartered financial analyst. You get the sustainable growth rate of the business. Yeah. So it's a little bit of mental gymnastics. You think about uh, kind of the five-year earnings growth. Hewlett Packard Enterprises. There is no identifiable growth. The long-term right. growth is expected to be negative four percent. So earnings are expected to fall by four percent over the. Uh, you know, the coming three to five years. Um, if you look at uh, the dividend they pay right now, 2.9% yield, it's grown by 33.9% over the past year. It uh, doesn't have a five-year history of dividends. Um, you know, otherwise, it's a, it's a decent company. Mm-hmm. It's just really not what I would consider a growth engine. Uh, you look at uh, Texas Instruments, which was also on his list, uh, earnings growth five years, past five years, 17.3% expected to grow going forward at about 10.5%. Um, again, you look at that and the dividend is uh, 2.2%. Nothing, you know, it's not breaking any records. Uh, and then, you know, the, the dividend growth about 22% over the past five years. Uh, you get down to IBM, which has been anything but a growth story for a long time. Five-year earnings growth, negative 3.68%. Analysts expect the earnings to grow a little less than 2% over the next uh, three to five years. Uh, these, to me, 
other than Texas Instruments, you could probably make the case that it's still kind of a growth stock. And, uh, you know, we we talked about the divergence between growth and value companies. Mm-hmm. Value companies tend to pay this dividend. Growth companies tend not to pay dividends. Uh, that in itself could probably give you the, the answer to the question. Now, I, I will say that if you're looking for a diversified dividend-paying portfolio, uh, for whatever purpose, uh, they tend to have uh, a lower beta, lower volatility in price in the overall portfolio. Uh, if you wanted to put together a diversified portfolio, sometimes it gets difficult to find tech stocks that you can include in that portfolio. Mm-hmm. These are three decent choices. Uh, the coverage yeah. on the dividend is well better than one, meaning that their earnings are still covering uh, the dividends that they're paying out for that purpose Probably a great option well, for a young person looking for growth. Maybe yeah. not so much. I don't. I think Jeff, you, you should, you know, not lose sight of the fact that the dividend, and a lot of people do. Trust me, I've I've talked to them that the dividend is actually still a function of the return, right? Absolutely. I mean, it, yeah. It, it may not necessarily give you the growth that you're looking for, or have the growth potential, but that is a function of that overall return. So you should still see that. And to Troy's point, that may help you protect against some of your your more risky growth plays that you have sure. in your portfolio. And some of these might be good to, while it, while they do give you some aspect of growth, you've also got this dividend and it sounds like a sustainable dividend that can yeah. sort of uh, hold things a little more steady for you. Right. Yeah. Even in in a downturn, then you have a positive cash flow coming from your portfolio as long as that dividend yeah. is safe. Absolutely. And, and that's always, if you're buying a stock for a dividend, always make sure of how it's being paid and how well it, the, the payout is being covered. Absolutely. Right. All right. Uh, we got a couple of minutes left here. Guys, let's uh, look at this question from Paul from Kennesaw right here in our own backyard. Uh, can I undo my Roth IRA conversion in 2018? Simple question. What you got? No. Simple answer. <laughs> well, that's no. not exactly true. No, that's right. not. I mean, it is part of the new Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was passed, eliminated the option to recharacterize your Roth conversions, which basically undoes, undoes your, your conversion. Undoes? Undoes. I love that. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Save that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, we got it. So <laughs> now the the exception, I guess, would be if you made a conversion in 2017 that you still wanted to recharacterize in 2018, you would have you you would have either had to have filed an extension, you would be able to do that up until October 15th, I believe, yeah, to still recharacterize. So you could undo something you did last year, but beyond that, beyond that, it's not going to be an option. Right now, if if you've already filed. Your 2017 taxes, can you amend? You can mm-hmm. You can go back it, and amend okay. uh, and then and unravel what unravel. you did only if it was in 2017. Right? Calendar year 2017. But, but do not move forward counting on something like this because while there were a number of reasons in the past why people may have done that, I mean, we've seen it. We've had cases before where someone took their required minimum distribution before uh, they they did the conversion and you have to actually, or excuse me, after they did the conversion and so they had to go back and do that before, uh, which is the reason they had to recharacterize. Sometimes there's fluctuations in the market. People want to go back and take advantage of those fluctuations, so they recharacterize. There were a number of different uh, reasons you might have done it in the past. but Maybe that is, not being forced to take your uh, distribution 
like yeah. you wouldn't a regular 401k or IRA, a traditional exactly. IRA. So when you're ready, I mean, some people did it because they didn't understand the implications of doing the conversion and, you know, got themselves in a bad position and wanted to recharacterize, but no longer. Basically, do it for 17 or don't do it at all. You're done. That's right. Yeah. All right. Uh, stock up or down? Going up. All right. I'm, I'm up, too. Me, too. You're listening to Money Talks. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.